Hi, I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, and welcome to From the Heart. Central Florida is widely known for its tourist spots and attractions, but many people don't know about its thriving arts community. On this show, we are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community. How do they create and why? And how can Central Florida benefit from an even greater arts presence? So we will be introducing you to guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference from the heart with a capital A-R-T. Hi, everybody. I am Mary, and Joshua is not here today. Once again, he's out saving the world through art. That's what I always say when he's not here. <laughs> I'm very happy that today's sitting in for Joshua is my dear friend and a very talented actor in Central Florida, Mr. Tim Pappas. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Mary. I'm honored to be here. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know Joshua and I think very highly of you. Great. That's great. Big shoes to fill. Oh, yes, yes. He's got large feet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we met uh, at Disney when we... We first met at, was it What's Your Problem? No, I guess it was the Royal Majesty Makers. It was, yeah, over in Magic Kingdom. It feels like I've right. known you before then, though. Well, you're kind of that kind of a person, Mary, you know. Yeah, One of our those paths have crossed. Indeed, yeah. yeah. But I so enjoy working with you. In fact, I will be again next week. Yes, looking forward to yes. it as always. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, you have a beautiful voice, Mary. Everybody knows that. But oh. through these headphones, it's like listening to Mother Earth embodied. Like, wow, that's, thank, thank you. you. Wow, what a, that's a very nice compliment. It really is. <laughs> well, uh, so tell everyone a little bit about... Uh, about your journey to this work that you do in the arts. Yeah, I actually started in high school, um, well, in elementary school as an orchestra dork, I guess we're called, right? So as a cello player, I uh, started playing cello in second grade and then kept going all the way through and then started singing in high school and then kind of forayed into theater and went, uh-oh, this is what I want to do. Mm. So after years of kind of doing work in theater outside of a day job, I finally got the kick that I needed from my wife to pursue it as my actual career, which is now what I do. So a full-time actor out at Walt Disney World and then uh, do things off on the side, some voiceover work from my home, which is a blessing, and uh, some some great stuff in the community yes, as well. Yes, you've been doing very well with your voiceover work. Yeah, it's been fun. A lot of fun. Fantastic. Um, so one of the things we'll be asking our guests today, and I'm so looking forward to that, is why the arts are important and why they're important to you. Tell us that for you. Well, it's kind of the multiple of a dilemma. It's, it's simply that the arts are important because we make them important in our lives. However, our lives are important because the arts are involved in them. So for me, it's it's both the idea that I enjoy doing things in the arts, but I don't know how my life would be complete without it. I don't know what element in my life I could substitute the arts with for me. It's kind of like a compulsion, something I need to do. Mm. But certainly in the community, it's something that brings an enrichment that uh, no other thing can fulfill as well. I mean, you've got people coming together from all walks of life, sharing in one common experience, and uh, that's kind of hard to achieve any other way, I think. Yeah, especially one that's healthy. Indeed, and right. And brings community. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, well, speaking of community, in our artistic community, I'm very excited about the guest that we have here today, and you offered to give our introduction. Tell us a little bit about him. Absolutely. Well, uh, this gentleman is uh, one of the few people I can say who uh, I can see eye to eye with on a constant level, because he and I are about the same stature. Uh, a very proficient actor, uh, speaker, motivator. He is the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Louis Gravance. And the wow. crowd goes crazy. Wow. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> not only do both of you have very good voices for the radio, I know you both, and this is not hyperbolic. You're both two of the most gracious and lovely people uh, in Central Florida, yay, in the yay. United States. <laughs> so it's just nice to be among you. Thank oh, you, thanks, Louis. Louis. It's great to be here with you. Louis, I've known you, it feels like, since I started at Disney, and I started uh, very early on, but I've always known who you were and then had the opportunity to meet you. 
one of the funny, most memorable people I ever met on as a citizen of Main Street. I mean, not Main Street, uh, Hollywood Boulevard. That's how I first met you. Yes, I was I think was I still have for... your card at home. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for a long time from the first from the first year the studio opened and then I was there for 12 years, left for uh, three or four. And all total, I think it was there for almost 20 years. Wow. Tell everyone what you did. I, pl- <laughs> I played Shelby Mayer. I love the, Shelby. Uh, the movie mogul who was sort of a takeoff on... Um, Basically, I sounded like a crazy uh, Kennedy Roosevelt, sort of Catherine Hepburn, you know, sort of a how I all sort of. A, it wasn't really a British accent. It was sort of, you know, a very pretentious. <laughs> that early Hollywood elevated speed. Right. right. His give whole thing give was, a little of your spiel right I'm now to our guests. Mayer. Who needs talent? I've got money. It was basically, <laughs> Shelby was a, was a shameless, shameless. He had movies like, oh my God, uh. Don't tell mama her diet's not working. <laughs> and uh, he had a whole slew of, of uh, Disney cartoon makeovers. Like, oh gosh. You know, because they were going to one word uh, titles. So it was like, you know, what's, uh, have you heard about, <laughs> have you heard about the, the, the new uh, remake of Snow White, Poisoned? <laughs> Perfect. You know, so basically, yes. yeah. Anyway, that, anyway. So that's. Great. But I want to say that I met Tim. The first time I laid eyes on Tim was in one of his school plays. What? This is true. I saw Tim in his uh, senior high school production. He was playing Pseudolus in a high school production of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. This is a hundred percent true. Yes. Now I know and you were was... born and raised here, Tim. But how did you get to his high school? Well. <laughs> I don't hang out at high school. <laughs> he was the, in the play also. Well, you know, my good friend, Dennis Marsico. Sure. Spawned many ah, talented. And many children. Many talented <laughs> children. Uh, his son, Ryan, ah. was uh, also playing one of the leads. So that's why we were there to see the play. And, uh, and Tim was great. Oh, well. I love I know, I'm not just that. saying that. It was, yeah, I would believe you. You know, a high school production of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. But no, uh, Tim was very good. It's so funny. I was actually told that not too long ago, and I guess X and Y do make Z in a very small town sometimes, mm-hmm. so that was really, really funny to hear. Well, so, so it was years later that you learned that he had seen that production? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was just not And you remembered ago. him? Yes. <laughs> well, not... Actually, we started talking about it. It was one of those things, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like the time that I realized that we had seen Monola, Monica Lewinsky in a high school play. No uh-huh. kidding. I knew there was something about her. And <laughs> then I was watching this thing on Nightline, and they showed a clip of her in her high school production of The Music Man at Beverly Hills High. And, I, and oh my God, we had been in the audience seeing Monica Lewinsky as the mayor's wife. But, but this was before she worked in D.C., obviously. This, she was in high school. She yeah. was a yeah. senior in high school. Well, what were you doing out there? Okay, I, I know it sounds like I troll high school. <laughs> Very quickly, we're no, going but that again, direction. I had, no, I had friends who had kids in the in the, and you know, I'll tell you, the Beverly Hills High, they had money. I know, you and know? talented right. kids, and you'd see like Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet's kids, you know, in in these high school productions. So th- there you go. I saw. So who knows who else I've seen in high school productions? But you remembered you, her. Yes, there was something weird about. I don't know. And then when they showed this picture, it was like, oh my god, yes, wow. Mm-hmm. What a how cool is that? So so if, if strange and odd deviation. If but. you've been in a high school production, we encourage you to write the program and we'll see if uh, Louis Gravance has seen you. Yeah. You're good at Jersey? I was in Jersey. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. No, no. Just in case. 
Oh my goodness, I yeah. love that. Yeah. So our friend Tim is going to be a dad soon. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it's wonderful. We're this happy is for right. you, dear. Thank you. I'm, I'm blessed, truly. A true creation of art. Hey, no kidding. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, let me ask you something. What are When you were younger, what are some of the things, Louis, that you thought about being when you grew up? Did you always know you were going to be an actor? No. I was going to be an Imagineer or an animator, and I was very, very set on it. And in fact, I would write letters to Wed Enterprises, which is what Imagineering was called then, and I would send them uh, drawings. How old were you? Oh my gosh. I, was, I started sending them stuff, I think, in second grade. How did you know about third. Disney? Well, well, my grandparents owned uh, a restaurant that was closed on Sunday nights. It was one of the old, I grew up in a small farming community. Where? Uh, Hanford, California, center, center, California, center, Mo, center, Mo city in central California. <laughs> it was one of the things. Anyway, I like the way you said that, but Hanford, Hanford. <laughs> so, uh, and they had a color TV and this was like in like 1961, 62, 63. And oh my gosh, Walt Disney would be on that night and we'd always watch and he would just talk about Disneyland. And I really wanted to go to Disneyland bad. And my father did not want to go to Disneyland at all. Why? He didn't understand why anyone would drive 200 miles and spend hundreds of dollars to sit in a teacup. <laughs> he did not understand it at all. And so he said, so he said to me, I can't get the time off. Uh, my boss won't give me the time off. And I knew this had to be a lie because there was stuffed dead things. My father was a great hunter. And so he, he, there was stuffed animals that he, we, he'd taken time off to go kill. So I realized time off must be available. So the, par- the company that my dad worked for had a huge Christmas party, and I was going to be eight. And uh, I marched up to the man that owned the company in my little red bow tie, and I go, uh, hi, um, I don't know if you know, but um, I'm going to be eight this year, and my dad, uh, we still haven't got to Disneyland, and my dad says that the reason we can't go is because you won't give him the time off. You did not. You did not. <laughs> no, I swear to oh God. Oh, my goodness. We know Louie, don't yeah, we? Yeah, of course okay. we do, but I love it. <laughs> and so I was wondering if maybe this year you could give my dad some time so he could take my brother and me to Disneyland. And the guy had already had a couple of drinks, I think, and he, he picked me up. He threw me high in the air, landed me on his knee, and he looks around the room, sees my dad, and calls him over. Uh-oh. <laughs> And my dad walks over like, oh my God, no, what is this? And my dad's boss goes, the owner of the company goes, so let me get this straight. You boys haven't been to Disneyland and it's my fault. Is that about it? <laughs> and my dad just goes ash and white. He goes, next, I don't get it. I give you weekends off. Ed, Ed, Jim over there, we've all taken our kids to Disneyland, had a hell of a time. I don't know why you can't take your boys to Disneyland. Next year when we have this party, I want to hear that these boys have been to Disneyland. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we leave the party, and my dad is very unhappy. I uh, imagine so. But broken, because it was no time at all. No time. Before my mom had my brother and me brill creamed up and in matching Sears Roebuck outfits and in my dad's 63 Blue Plymouth Valiant, making the, the four-hour drive to Anaheim. Now, I was hyperactive clinically as a child, <laughs> like, like a real spinner dolphin kind, you know, one of those kids. You I know? the way he says he was. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> things well, have not changed. I was a pre-Ritalin child. So, <laughs> so anyway, I've seen the pictures of me meeting Mickey Mouse and it's just uh, horrible. I'm just levitating. I'm just spinning and really? levitating. Well, and, do you remember how you felt when you first saw him? Oh my God. I was, so, I loved Walt Disney so much. The day Walt Disney died, the principal of my school came to my third grade classroom huh. to see if I needed to go home. Oh my gosh. So this was common knowledge. Yes, everyone knew how much I loved Disneyland. And I told everybody, 
I told everyone that one day I was going to work for Disneyland. Oh my god. Everybody. But I thought it was going to be as uh, an animator. And then I then I got my first play and it dawned on me that I was a much better actor than I was ever going to be an artist. Mm. Now, do you find yourself savvy with like tangible art, drawing, sculpting? Are you good? Only cartoons. Yeah. I, I, can, still, I can still draw a mean Mickey Mouse. But uh, So what is it about Walt? What, it, what was it about Walt Disney himself that inspired you? That's odd. There really isn't it, uh, someone in um, popular culture now that represents that that presence, this sort of everyone trusts this magical grandfather presence. No one? Sans any kind of irony or, or you know, nobody hardly bad-mouthed Walt Disney. There was, it, was just, it was almost a, it was something sanctified about anything he did. And um, the, the Disneyland thing just really got to me. And I was aware, even as a small child, that their cartoons were of finer quality than anybody else's, even, even then. Well, I think that was a principal thing, you know, Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Rogers, these type figures. I don't mm. think we see a lot of those on television. Or... Right, but even Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers didn't speak to everybody. This like Walt true. was for adults, parents, children, taste. babies. It was a matter of taste. Say that again. What it was you mean? a taste. It was a matter of taste. Walt Disney's taste mm. was a part of our collective consciousness, and and. For some odd reason, he tapped into that collective consciousness and his taste. For example, he would get drawings of uh, preliminary uh, drawings. The best one, if you ever see a preliminary drawing of Jiminy Cricket mm-hmm. and how angular he looked. Yes. And someone would say, okay, now Disneyfy it. And that meant round it soften out. Soften it, yes. Round it, mm-hmm. soften it. And he, 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 he was a matter of taste. I love that. He was a terrible artist. Terrible artist. It was, it was frustrated by what a bad draftsman he was. Right. So but it was he started it and other people of finished it. Explaining his taste, taste to someone else. We're good. My goodness. So we're going to come back in just a little bit. But when we do, I want to hear a little bit more about the influence that um, Walt Disney and Walt, working at Walt Disney World has had on the work that you're currently doing because it's all been a journey for you, I imagine. Yeah. Yes. It's all, yeah. It's sort of one moment. If you were to name your journey, what would you call it? Oh, wow. You can tell us when we come back because right okay. now All right. we're yeah. going to leave, but we'll be right back, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us here on From the Heart. I'm Mary thompson Hun, and you're listening to Magic 107.7 FM. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt here, um, unfortunately without Joshua Vickery today, but fortunately with Tim Pappas. Hi, everybody. <laughs> as we speak with Louis Gravance. This has been fascinating, yeah? No kidding. Yeah, a lot of things I've learned about somebody I thought I knew pretty well. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about your book, and we left it with a cliffhanger. What do you think you might title the book you're writing? Oh, I know it. The book I'm writing is called Service is a Superpower. Hmm. It's called Service is a Superpower, Things You Learn in a Magic Kingdom. It sounds like service is a superpower if you want it to. I mean, uh, I, wow, no, I that, that had got a theme song. I didn't realize the yeah the the, the syncopation <laughs> was there. Service is a superpower, yes. And uh, because you, when you do public speaking, you often talk about service. Do, when you talk about service, do you talk about it from a point of view of things you've learned from Walt Disney World? Yeah, well, I was a, I, I taught traditions. I know I wasn't sure if I was allowed to say. Yeah, I taught traditions <laughs> for years. I'm actually also a former traditions assistant. I know, assistant. I yeah. know. 
So tell everyone out there who doesn't know what Traditions is, what it is. You can both share into that. It was the, it's the first day. Um, some would call it indoctrination. They used to call it that. Um, it's the first day Disney hire where you are engaged emotionally. Um, I mean, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, I mean, it is the... It is the first day for anybody who considers themselves a Disney cast member where they get a chance to go through, a, a, for lack of a better term, an orientation, mm-hmm. but it's far greater experience than that. Well, I will tell you this. When I started it there in 1991, it was a week. That's true, yeah. that went through many incarnations. Um, by the time I had gotten hired, it was one day, and then during my time teaching, they actually even re-engineered the program to get back to basics but still keep it within that one-day format. I'll admit, though, the last day was them helping me find a place to live. I mean, what I loved about coming down here, they put their arms around you. They said, we're going to take you step by step. You're ours now. And then the class and then the tours. You had to be a, a, a really believable bazooka of pixie dust. <laughs> you know, because it's you, true. Uh, yeah. I mean, because you had to be credible. But y- the day packed a wallop and you had to really get people to believe. Again, that service was a superpower. In one way or another, you had to get them to believe that an investment of themselves was an investment in themselves. And whether there was a lot of money in it or not, every guest interaction was an opportunity to redefine themselves and what they were willing to be. And you Tell us about that. Every interaction with a guest was an opportunity for them to redefine themselves? What they're willing to you be- mean each cast member? See, my, my speaking career is a little bit covert. I used to teach a course in miracles mm. and I used to teach traditions. Mm. So what I, I don't know if you know what a course in miracles oh, sure. is. It's, no. it's a Marianne metaf- Williams. Yeah. It's like a, it's metaphysical, uh, you know, science of mind, uh, church of religious science, not Scientology. And anyway, so there is a lot of metaphysics that are sort of covertly, um, embedded in my talks and always have been about, you know, you literally can net, cannot fail if you, are, if you are exceeding someone's expectations. You, excellence finds excellence. And at Disney, every guest that you met, I can't believe I'm sounding like a tradition teacher, was an opportunity to exceed expectations and thus redefine what you were being. Not what you were doing, but what you were willing to be. And what you're willing to be transcends your present experience. Mm. And I learned that because I lost every, you know, I was an actor. And a successful one in L.A. And then I lost everything and became an idiot and shaved my head and tried to wear mascara and be cool for a while. (laughs) Wait a minute. What does this mean? Uh, Well, I was a child actor and I was playing 15-year-olds until I was 25. And then I got hairy hands and I couldn't play 15-year-olds anymore. And and I hadn't saved any money. So I had to become a waiter. Uh And I had no waiting skills. And I had to pretend like I worked at Disneyland. Ah. Because so no one would notice how awful I was at being a waiter. And it worked yes. until I could <laughs> develop waiting skills. And I had lost everything. And I realized that every time I exceeded somebody's expectations, how good it made me felt. And once I became proud to become a waiter, and I swear to God, once I became proud to be a waiter, I got a call out of nowhere saying, after I pretended to work at Disneyland all these years, I got a call out of nowhere saying, hey, they're looking for somebody to go work out at Disneyland. And I know this is weird and out of nowhere, but would you like to go work outside the Haunted Mansion as a zany mortician and work the crowd for a summer? And that's how I got there and ended up in Streetmosphere here. So in your core belief, do you believe that it was the intention and the energy that you took in, in 
yes anding what the universe gave you with this job that somehow begot that phone call? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And actually being grateful of the opportunity to serve. Anyway, mm. I'm, I'm well, going it's on. all it's but, all about service in this world, isn't it? So anyway, so that's what my talks are about. They're about self investment. I love that. Now I know uh, in I your love talks that. that gives people a perspective that a lot of people don't necessarily hear very often. Mm-hmm. Must be eye opening for them. Sorry, to that's true. No, it. not at all. Um, it's great service serves the server first. Is the title of one of my talks. Anyway. So my question about it is that you talk a lot about performance in everyday activities, no matter what you're doing, what your services that you provide. And yes. I think that's a keynote of a lot of your speeches, yes. a lot of your talks. Can you kind of delve into that a little bit? About performance? Yeah, about- how, how we all act as performers. As a matter of fact, share, uh, Mary and I shared a video just last night of a talk you did some time ago about how a doctor using oh, a... Well, it's absolutely true. I, you know, I speak to a lot of medical groups, a lot. And I've learned a lot about... You know, there's one of my talks, the most... Um, successful one is called there's no business but show business <laughs> and uh, and you know we go see doctors and let's say there's something really not right with your ear and you go to the doctor and go oh doctor oh my ear hurts so bad and he or she they come in and they turn on the light and they look in your ear let's imagine they see something awful typically the doctor is not going to look in your ear and go oh god <laughs> <laughs> even though I am told this is exactly what they think. I'm told that sometimes our nudity is absolutely gross <laughs> to our doctors and that they are utilizing a performance technique to make us feel fine, to make us feel comfortable, and to they are they are they are playing a part of a doctor. They're playing they're 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 in character in order to keep their eye on the ball and their narrative. In check. We lay people call that bedside manner. Okay, all right. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Tim, it looked like you had another question that popped in your on your face before did did it? I was oh yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about when when you got into the talking world, you rebridged the gap from your previous experience with traditions and metaphysics and all that. So, when, what was your first talk? Do you remember like your first business related talk? Well, I started doing a lot of business talks for the Disney Institute, and that's where we they moved some of us. Sheila uh, Ward-Smith. And, and so we did, we would do, uh, learn uh, things like Disney's approach to quality service, things like that for corporations. And, uh, and then they would send us out to do presentations at their conventions. And one of them took me out to dinner one night. It was in Canada and BMW of Canada. And this guy takes me out and he goes, okay, I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to tell you something. You're an idiot. Because I just found out that you're not getting any money but your hourly wage to come do these talks and i'm going to do you a favor and not tell you how much we paid disney for you to be here with us today you need to wise up and then i was told the same thing by bank of america so i left bank i left disney and wrote a traditions program for bank of america called the bank of america spirit Mm. and Mm. and that was their first day orientation for service and then I did it for 120,000 uh, Bank of America employees around the country. Wow. Trained a team. And so that, that to answer your question, is what... What a journey. Did you ever see yourself in, in this kind of light? Did you ever think you might have a passion for this type of training and development? No. 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 Just that's no. Just that simple. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> You're, when I watched it, what I loved was you were authentically you. You were genuine and you utilized 
just who you are, your energy, your animation, uh, your colorfulness, your point of view, which is what I think we look for in people when they're speaking, that they need to be who they are. But of course, who you are is quite an exceptional person with a package of so many different things to offer, and you brought it all. Well, you're both very A kind. party in one. It's true. Yeah, it's like the, the amped up version of Louie, but certainly Louie the whole mm-hmm. way through. I've never let any member of my family see one of my talks. And I, and I, um, and John, my you husband. You can Google search it. And jo- John, my husband, never saw me until a year ago. Not one time. Why is that? Because in a weird way, it's like being a preacher and it's like being... A, a, that's like you pointed out. It's a heightened version of oneself. And I tell stories about my family and I tell stories about the people in my life. And if they're there, it's going to sort of break this illusion. <laughs> you know, it, it, it will tell that it would, it would be very odd. It's very odd. I'm always like, no, you can't come. My mother would love to come to one of my talks. I'm like, no. Mm-mm. Like a comedian, you, take my wife, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have they? Have you ever let them see like one of your YouTubes or something? Or? No, sure. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But I just I remember my father that. used to say, "God rest his soul." My dad would go, "Um, say, oh, you know, Dad, I'm doing talks," and then and uh, and then he'd look at my site and saw, you know, how much keynote speakers make. This and I can hear my dad every time, every every time. You know, I heave in the shower all the time before one of these talks. Even now, I've done hundreds. I constantly. I know that's gross, but I'm <laughs> heave in the shower. And um, I can hear my dad going. When I told him about it, like, can you hear my dad? We were sitting in a restaurant. And my dad goes, what on God's green earth could you possibly talk about that people would pay you that much money? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure by that time he'd heard a lot of you. <laughs> Louis, what? For someone listening who has maybe always thought about public speaking or wonders like, could I ever know? I can't because you know it's the number one fear. What what advice do you give to people who are starting out and they just have to give a little speech at a, maybe at a church or somewhere? What, what do you tell them? The first thing I would say is, and as you both know, because you also do jobs that you make look easy. And when you do a job that you make look easy, other people think it would be easy for them to do as well. Mm-hmm. So I cannot tell you how many people come up to me and go, you know, I think I'd like to do what you're doing. I think I'd like to get into speaking. And I want to go, okay, well, um, it took me 10 years to make any real money at it on my own on a consistent basis. So come on. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm glad it looks so easy. But it's been really, really tough. The thing that I would say is tell the truth. That's what I, because I, I train facilitators, tell the truth. And speak about something you probably feel passionate about, I imagine. Yes, yes, but tell the truth. So what's an example of a time maybe you didn't tell the truth and you realized, oh, I need to tell the truth? Well, that's really interesting because, you know, right now I'm doing a play where I'm playing a flamboyant gay man. And I have never played a gay man on stage. I mean, I probably acted like one, but I have never <laughs> played one. And when I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in Hollywood as I was doing that, there was an unspoken rule that you butched it up. You know, this was still a time when no one wanted to hear. It was okay if you were gay as long as you didn't open your mouth about it and you didn't act it. Mm. And so many of us, learn to put on this 
butcher version of ourselves. And I think about how much success I had in Hollywood, but how I, I didn't quite, I, I was up for so many series that I didn't get. And I think some of it was because I was not willing to be an authentic person in the office. There was always this, I better act a little more, I better act a little more masculine than I am. I better not let them see that I'm gay. And now I'm in this play where he's very flamboyant. And it's odd is that I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about it. It's one of the things that I'm having to, to, to just like, and I've played women on stage, but I've spent so many years trying to not act gay on stage that it's, I never realized that how much, how subliminally uh, men of my age were wired to do that. Mm. Certainly a different time. Different time, and I'm glad it is. Yeah, me too. Uh, speaking of time, we're out of time on this segment, but we will be right back more with Louis Gravance, myself, and Tim Pappas. We're so glad you're here. Um, thank you for joining us on Magic 107.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to From the Heart on Magic 107.7. My name is Tim Pappas, alongside the host of the program, Mary Thompson Hunt, with our special guest, Louis Gravance, who has just been delighting us with the best song and dance routine. Frank, who knew that he was such a good tap dancer? Tim, what's he doing? Well, he's doing this amazing tap. It looks like a shuffle ball check. You all should be here to see this. But he's not moving his feet. Well, the audience didn't need to know that, Mary. Oh. That's a great, I cannot tell you how many hours I've spent with my mouth learning how to do that. Wait a minute. Okay, so the audience needs to know he was doing all of that with his mouth. Yes, it was a very Break. bizarre Foley dance. It was okay. pretty funny. I was a have very never lonely seen child. that. But you know what? We're going to take a picture of it, of a, a little video, like yes. for five seconds, and then we'll show it to you. You can we'll go to the that. site and watch that because it's worth seeing. Oh, I don't seeing. know. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, awesome. So know. you've been doing that since you were a kid? Oh, Yeah. I also thought of a missed opportunity when you were a kid. You spoke about your, your dad's stuffed animals, the taxidermy work. You could have turned those into animatronics. You know, Walt did with the... Oh, yeah. yeah. You know jamboree. what? I can't believe... No, I, you know why I didn't think about those things? Because they were nasty. <laughs> and they didn't look cute like the tiki birds. They were like stuffed pheasant and stuff. And, 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 and I didn't want to touch them. They're still there. They are still there. Oh, my mom's going to hear this. I was this. just going to ask you, where are they? Oh, my God. They're still... In what's called the John Wayne room. Oh my God. This is going to be a whole other program. And I John sit there Wayne and I go, room. Mom, when are you going to get rid of these dead deer and stuff in here? <laughs> Just please. All right. Sorry. No, it's funny. No, what, no, no. What do you think? Are you going to donate them somewhere someday? I don't want to ever see them again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask you uh, kind of about your film experience because you mentioned that for, uh, for a little bit beforehand. So you did some work out in Hollywood uh, in film and commercials, right? Yeah, I did tons and tons and tons of commercials. I, I that I was lucrative, and uh, oh, you can see me in a Clint Howard uh, uh, cult classic where I'm I, I I do it all in one film. 
I, 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 I have a death scene. I get my head chopped off. I have a nude scene in a shower. I just, all of it. And, and what just, is the name of that one? Yeah. <laughs> it's called Evil, Evil Speak. Speak. Oh, and I'm even chased by satanic hogs in a church at some point. It's a brilliant film. Satanic, would, satanic hogs? hogs? How do you know they're satanic? Well, because they've been imbued by the power of Esteban. It's a really a they long story. They came out of the John Wayne room, I think. Yeah, and they talk through a computer that, that Clint Howard is able to work, and he's able to summon. It's... He's able to summon <laughs> satanic powers <laughs> to come and, and kill us with these pigs because we've been mean to him. Well, I have to, get, I have to share the tagline from the 1982 classic, Data incomplete. Human blood required. Thus spoke the computer. <laughs> there you go. Awesome voiceover for good. it. Thank you. <laughs> oh my, was that fun to do? Oh, yeah. It was really fun to do. And at the time, it seemed like I was making a fortune. And it went on for weeks. And every, I mean, I, there, there were like character actors from The Godfather in it. Mm. The guy that got, got his hand stabbed. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Charles Tyner, people, someone that from you Pete's know. Dragon. Yeah. And, and, no, and Charles Tyner, the guy that had, uh, anyway, anyway. Was this just, during Screen Actor Guild time? Was it SAG film? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my oh, goodness. Of course. How I'm dare so, you? Well, I'm, I'm just asking. I don't dare know. Dare you? I mean, you I did look the, the film up. <laughs> I was a Guild member at 17. <laughs> Excuse me. I snorted. Wow. <laughs> At 17? Yes. Wow, I'm impressed. What well, was the first thing you did? was a commercial for Knott's Berry Farm. So theme park all the way. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. My goodness. Oh, yeah. I, I went to the Knott's Berry Farm out in California. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fun. It's nice. It's very nice. It's not Disney, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, so you, we talked a little bit about the influx of arts into this community back in the 80s and and you said, I don't know if people realized what was brought in here at that time. I don't think it can be overestimated the power of what they called Hollywood East then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in on the cover of magazines. It was, um, this is where filming was going to be. And a lot of us did a lot of films and uh, sitcoms. And it, from 1989 to 1993, there was so much onboarding of talent. And people came, and, and people that were working already, people from New York, people from L.A., people Chicago, people that were in really esteemed improv groups and things, um, came here and, and were ready to take those, those year-long contracts because we all thought that there was going to be a lot more film and TV work here. Mm-hmm. But what ended up happening is we came, we stayed, we married, we had kids, we formed theater groups, we, you know, some of us became directors and, you know... We, we planted roots, family roots and artistic roots here. I mean, the, one of the reasons why the Fringe Festival is so huge is because you had this massive community of actors that wanted to do something outside of their theme park mm-hmm. work. So I, 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 I can't, I, again, I don't think it can be overestimated, the, the influence that had, even though it never really materialized, people came, Pe- people, actors and, and, and storytellers came to mm. be a part of it and we just created a different kind of Hollywood East. I mean, lots of people have now, I mean, there are people that are going to leave Disney with a 25, 30, 35 year equity pension. Mm-hmm. Where else is anybody going to do a gig for, you know, there's going to be people that leave Disney on full salary because of their equity pension. I might be one of them. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know what I mean? There's, uh, that, 
Crazy, yeah. right? Well, yeah. I know I'm I'm of a bit of a different generation, but growing up here in Orlando, how and all, dare you? Well, dare, you always have to pull that youth card, all right? <laughs> well, it's Just true. Enjoy okay? it. You told me right? to speak my all truth, right. so yes, I'm speaking my truth. Right. Yeah. But okay. but seeing seeing all that stuff happening around Orlando was an exciting time. You'd watch shows on Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel, and all those things would would mm-hmm. have their writing mailing addresses so that you could get in touch with them, enter sweepstakes, and it was all right here in Orlando. So, And that was, you know, in the backyard. So I kind of felt like the privileged kid growing up in Orlando with all this great stuff. And I find out years later that the people that I was watching on TV then are now my friends and coworkers. So it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Nutty. Nutty. What next? What, what are some goals for your future? Well, to get this book out. I want to memorize all the lines for this play because it's mammoth. Tell us about the play. Give us a plug. It's, a, um, it's called Buyer and Seller. And, uh, and Philip Nolan asked me about two years if I wanted to do this play that was about a guy that manned these shops underneath Barbara Streisand's house. And frankly, I have such admiration for Philip Nolan. If he'd said, you know, do you want to do a kabuki version of Madame Butterfly in the park? I would have said yes. So, but <laughs> basically it's about, you know, Barbara Streisand has this mall underneath her house that she's built that she's stalked with all of her mass accumulation and she goes down there and pretends to shop. This is the truth. I've is heard this, this. still happening? I've heard this from people I, that she'll go, this, to $20,000. Okay. This. Well, this, this play is about this guy that worked for years at a theme park, loses his job, and then has to take a job working underneath Barbara Streisand's house, being the proprietor, quote unquote, of these shops. And in this play, it's a one-man play, and you perform all the interactions with Barbara and everybody else that comes down. And it's, it wow. is a massive amount. Is to Philip directing it or producing Philip it? Philip is directing it. And where will it be? At Mad Cow. Oh, my goodness. And when, can we, when does it uh, open? It, it opens, I think it opens August uh, 10th. So, it's co- so you've just started rehearsals then? We're just about to start, but we've been planning for a long time, and I've been learning it. It's so massive. To, I haven't had to learn a script like that in a long time. So that set will be an interesting, I imagine. It'll have a lot of pieces. and. Yeah, I'm very clumsy. Wow, so. I'm so excited. We'll, we'll definitely be there. Absolutely. It's you funny because there's a, a bit of a play. life imitating art thing. You said you're like a former theme park actor who then goes uh-huh. on and, and takes on a that, new business. He was a mayor. Oh of my a Disney gosh. theme park. <laughs> Are you serious? I am I am dead serious. He was a mayor of a Disney I theme park. I just got chills. He loses his job and has to find something else to do and ends up working underneath Barbara Streisand's freaking house. I think you should invite her. It's a, ve- <laughs> it's a very, 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 very funny play. It really is. So. Oh, I'm sure. I yeah. can't wait. And I'm so glad you're doing it. The only way I could memorize it, I had to memorize, I had to, I had to record the script the last two pages. And then the second, I've had to learn it from the end forward. Why is that? So I always knew where I was going or I never, I, it's. I've never heard that before. Have you, Tim? Oh, well, no, not necessarily. I, I think there are some, you know, monologues you get the front and the end and then try to bridge the middle. But yeah, that's a di- different end technique. Back, well, and especially being a one person show, I guess that's really important. You, literally, you know it frontward and backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, but to memorize. Any tips for people out there who are learning, who want to memorize things? I have to, I learn better uh, audibly. I've, I, I learned that as I've gotten older, you know, I used to be one of those obnoxious people that could look at it a couple of times yes. and yeah, really obnoxious. I can't do that anymore, but I, I, if I hear it, so I have to, I have to record myself saying it. And then you listen and, and over and over and then I, and then I lip sync to it. Oh, nice. Do you oh. do that too, Tim? No, no. I think I'm going to start. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you just put it on in the car and you lip sync to I've always recorded the other person's lines, but I guess in your situation, that's not an I, option. I do. Oh, that's not an option. Yeah. 
Um, well, we don't have too much time left, so I, w- I want to give our listeners some takeaways of what, what we can learn from you. And being a public speaker, and I just, for some reason, I feel like there's something not said yet about for those that might be called upon to speak in front of people, what you can tell them. And you said, to be honest, um, are there any other little tricks of the trade that can help them find that confidence to be themselves? The best thing is to try and put your points across through anecdotal messaging as opposed to using a PowerPoint and following a PowerPoint or trying to go data to data to data or, or you know, point to point to point, text to text to text. Try and create a story arc just like there's a play. Just, just like in any play. Beginning, any, a middle, and an end. What happened? And it's got to have a feel. It's got to get, you know, it's, it's got to have conflict and it's got to have a resolution at the end. It's got to have a heart message and mm. a head message. You have to have a head message and a heart message. So when you said uh, how it feels, express how the emotions were so that they, because they, I think a lot of people, they're vulnerable just to even talk about how they felt when they're saying what happened. The best speakers are the best storytellers. The best speakers are the, are the best, best storytellers. storytellers. So, and uh, Tim, you're a storyteller too. From both of you, uh, for a storyteller, if you're going to tell someone how to tell a good story, basically that's it. Be authentic and go ahead. Yeah, I think you got to have fun doing it yourself, right? I think that's part of being a good storyteller. And uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you have to know everything there is to know about the story you're telling, but as long as you know enough of it to feel good about it, I think that's important. Mm. I'd say, I like to give our gifts learned here to our listeners because you never know when it's going to help someone out. One quick question I really did just think of. Do you find any challenge being Louis as opposed to Louis playing a character in the fact that you have to speak as, as you, not as Louis or Shelby or so on and so forth? You mean forth. when I do my speaking gigs? Yeah, like... You know what you do? I think I do exactly what a preacher does. I believe that they do. That's a persona that you play. It's an exaggerated version of yourself. And so I don't feel necessarily that I'm that still is a, 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 a character I'm playing. Is that weird? Yeah. I don't. And, um, it's a bigger version of you. And yeah, that, it's, it's, it's a dialed up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's dialed up. And that may be helpful for those people trying to pursue a career and don't quite know how to get the courage to get there. Right. A, a little louder, a little bigger, a little more animated, a little I more said confident. That's, uh, oh, oh, you weren't talking to me. So. <laughs> uh, you know that saying, fake it till you make it? I truly have oftentimes done that. So yeah. for listeners looking for a little something as a takeaway, be a little bigger you. Could never hurt. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we know how to see you in your play. And if they want to look you up for speaking, do you have a website? Yes. They can go to greatkeynotespeaker.com. All right. Greatkeynotespeaker.com. <laughs> yeah, I know I bought that. Wasn't that good? That was it smart. Do a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim, we can see you at, at Magic Kingdom. Absolutely. Yes. There's, uh, you're friends with someone who's over there at Fantasyland. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Around that sword in the stone area. All right. That'd be great. And uh, maybe next time you're back, you'll be a papa. Oh, yeah. Well, come December. So have me back after the that. The ultimate creation. <laughs> friends, it has been a pleasure spending time with you here today. We hope that you will continue to listen on. Uh, Joshua will be back next week. Don't forget to go to Orlando at play.com to find out what's going on in the arts this week. There's plenty. Go out and see a show. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt on From the Heart. Thank you for listening to Magic 107.7 FM. Mm-hmm.